Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello everybody and welcome to the show. As always, we're here for our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Well, today we're joined by a racing legend. After dominating pacing in Western Australia for two decades and winning every major race, Fred Kersley turned his talents to racing, where a horse named Northerly helped etch his name into folklore. And this year marks 20 years since the Fighting Tiger dominated the 2001 Spring Carnival and saluted in the first of back-to-back Cox Plates. Timing is everything, after all. Fred, hello. Welcome to the program. Yes, good morning from Western Australia, and uh, nice to talk to you. You're a very humble man, I've got to say, Fred, because I found a quote that you gave uh, many moons ago, probably. You, you actually once described yourself as an ordinary bloke who has been very lucky in life. I still stand by that statement, I think. Um, in racing, the game we play, uh, without luck, you're in a bit of bother. I've got to say, a good horse helps make his own luck, and uh, if you get the ride with that horse, then you get lucky as well. Where do we find you this morning, Fred? Have we got you at Northerly Lodge, which you had to call it Northerly Lodge, didn't you? <laughs> Pretty much, yes. There wasn't much choice. He built the stables and the, bought the property, so yeah, <laughs> that was the case. Actually, at the moment, I'm not. I'm back home in South Perth, so getting ready to go to Northern races today. Fantastic. I guess the reminders are always there, I'm sure, as you've continued in the industry. 20 years on, though, as I said off the top, Fred, how vivid are the memories of the one known as the Fighting Tiger? Oh, still very, very um, clear, really, in your mind. Um, some of the intricacies of the uh, of the job get lost, but the uh, the horse himself, the races he won, they they're indelibly planted in your memory bank. So he'll never be forgotten. And there's always the statue, of course, at Ascot Racecourse, which is a, a great reminder of him. Do you ever catch yourself looking at that statue and daydreaming for a moment? Yeah, I do, and I notice a few of the public of Eden had a ride on him, but uh, that's not a really good idea. But no, look, yeah, thanks to the uh, Perth Racing for remembering the old horse in the way they have. It's really wonderful. So nine Group 1s in the end, more than $9 million in prize money. I mean, it's probably an understatement to say that he that he changed your life, Fred. Oh, yeah, he did. Um, it's really a dream, really. To think that you're going to get a horse as good as that, and it's probably something I never dreamt of, to be honest. Mm. Um, but, you know, when he arrived, he, he changed our life, the family's life, um, forever. Was it $12,000 you, you paid for him? I think the asking price was 18000 and I bought a half share of him in those early days. Yep. Um, yeah, that was the, you know, the current value of the Sir Heed stock at the sales you know, on average. Uh, and, of course, he was a fair bit better than average. He was. Financially, it's obvious that he changed a life. But wider than that, Fred, I mean, did he did he give WA Racing a real impetus, if you like, and a, and a real shot in the arm? I, I really think, I'm glad you mentioned that, because I think it did have an impact on WA Racing. The period where things weren't all that flash, the footy teams weren't winning, cricket wasn't going all that good either. 
and Nordley gave the sporting public an interest, and um, particularly when he went east and took on the best of the best on their home ground. I think it made everybody in West Australia feel pretty good about it. And look, his journey's amazing. It is incredible to think, as, as I'm sure you've reflected many times, and there's been many stories written on it, that Northerly was pulled from a dam at birth, wasn't he? He was motionless and cold, and uh, I think it was Neville Duncan, the owner-breeder, that ended up massaging his heart. Uh, funny, given it's the same heart that the horse would, would become renowned. Yeah, it, uh, that's incredible, isn't it? He was born without a heartbeat, and, um, you know... Um, I, I think that that does happen from time to time, although not much into the breeding game. But the fact is that, yes, he did. He was born without a heartbeat for a period of time. And when it started beating, it certainly got the job done. <laughs> it did. Anywhere from, I guess, 1,200 to 2,400 metres, he was a real competitor. So 19 wins, 37 starts. He just had a huge heart, but he had a, a sheer will to win, didn't he? He did. I think it was, in the end it was his stamina that was the hallmark of his career in as much as, and, and most, or quite a few jockeys made the comment, in the run he feels like he's beaten, but he never was. And rejected as a yearling, have I got that right? He was offset in, in both knees, do you remember, Fred? Yeah, uh, he was bypassed in the selection for the Perth yearling sales and that was how uh, my good fortune if you like that uh, I was able to purchase the horse along with another one there was two Sahis in that day in the paddock that probably the brown one's the better looking one but the bay one was northerly and uh, the brown horse he went on and won two or three city races in Perth a horse called Empanage um, but Nordley, the the one that was perhaps the plainer of the two in the paddock he became Nordley. So you get him into your stable, Fred, and, and uh, I know a lot of time's gone past since then, a couple of decades, of course, or more. But was the talent obvious straight away? When did you perhaps the penny drop that you might have had a special one? Took a little while. i got to say he didn't race as a two-year-old. He first started as a three-year-old in a midweek class six at Ascot. Was probably the beginning of the story in as much as he got back in the field early and, and marched on home in pretty good uh, fashion to finish third in that race. And it it was the start of something big. Uh, it wasn't until later in that prep, I think his second or third start, where he, he really announced that he was becoming a serious horse. And even now, and I'm not trying to embarrass you here, Fred, but being the racing identity that you are and so recognisable in, in, in your part of the world in WA, when you do get stopped now, is it northerly that's always raised? I mean, what is it? Or is it something else? Is it going back to your day's pacing? Or is it always this this champion thoroughbred? Uh, in this modern day, it's more northerly, no doubt. Yeah. I mean, there are a few of us still walking around the planet who remember <laughs> the early days of Walter <laughs> Park. But, uh, um Look, I had a good good um, run in uh, in harness racing, um, which was very rewarding to me, you know, mentally in as much as my family had made a mark. And there was um, a lot of people of the view that, that I would never reach that mark. Um, in the actual fact, some satisfaction is that I actually won more premierships than either my uncle Frank or my dad, Fred. So... You know, they were good times. I, I, I look back fondly and thank the Lord that I had was lucky enough to um, to get that job done. And uh, 
I still look back on it and think, well, there was a lot of times I doubted myself and there's a lot of people doubted me as well. But at the end of the day, I got the job done, so it's there in black and white, so they can still have the discussion. But I think the facts are that it was pretty good. It sure was, and uh, we'll document. We'll go back over those uh, glory days at Gloucester Park a little bit later on in the interview. But just coming back quickly to Northerly, sadly he's no longer with us, of course, died in uh, 2012 after a a colic attack. Have I got this right, Fred? You used to think that uh, he would outlive you, didn't you? So at least there's one silver lining. Yeah, I I did. Honestly, I made that comment and I believed it. I mean, he he died, I think, at 12 years of age now. I've had some other great horses that have lived till their late 20s. Um, Comparing his age to mine, I thought that, you know, it's 50 50. I don't know who will go first. But uh, it it was disappointing and um, a little surprising. Uh, Surprising is probably the wrong word. In fact, colic threatens all horses there. Structurally, they're not sound in that area. And it doesn't take very much to go wrong, and really, it's very difficult to save horses that you know get a severe attack of colic. So, sadly, he went on his way. Yeah, it's a great shame. You're listening. To, this is your journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals. It's great to have your company. Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Up next, we rewind to 2001 as Fred Kersley introduces Melbourne to Northerly, and we're suitably amazed. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, great to have your company on This Is Your Journey, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. 20 years after Northerly dominated the Spring Carnival and won the Cox Plate, we're chatting with the Fighting Tigers trainer, Fred Kersley. Fred, in these early days with Northerly, there was a string of minor race wins, a win at the Railway Stakes and a first up second at the Australia Day Stakes, all in Perth, before you set Northerly's sights on Melbourne in the autumn of 2001. Now, he won the Carline Cup first over 1,600 metres, in course record time and by four lengths, I might add. It was emphatic, but was relief the overriding emotion for you here? Probably, you know, relief would be a, a good word. I mean, I certainly had my doubts and I talked to a number of people in, in Western Australia that have been in the galloping business longer than I had about whether we're going off the high dive and in, in going to Victoria. Um, most of them were supportive, and but i got to say I went there with a bit of apprehension about, you know, how we would measure up. Everything was sort of new to me there. Uh, and I, I still think that that win that day strong in my mind is, you know, it stamped him as being at least as good and I wasn't going to say he was better than all the others, but he was on the way to proving himself on the East Coast. And on that day, it was New Zealand jockey Greg Childs who who rode him. And as they say in the classics, perhaps it was the start of a a beautiful friendship. Although, well, Greg was in the enviable position, wasn't he? Because he was riding two champions in virtually the same era because we know he had a relationship with with the New Zealand Mare Sunline as well. Yeah, that's true. And, and, you know, Greg did a wonderful job with the horse. But, you know, when I left West Australia to go to Victoria, I was thinking about the West Australian contact. And Ollie was, uh, I thought, going to ride him in the Carline Cup. But he'd won a race in the country with a horse called Oval Office, you know, a week or so before the uh, Carline Cup. And he chose to stick with Oval Office. And Greg called me, or his, his manager did, and said, look, Greg would like to ride the horse, but with one condition that 
is if he ever clashed against Sunline, he would be obliged to ride Sunline. Mm-hmm. So that, uh, Greg kept his word, uh, I understood, and that unfolded, I think, a terrific time for Greg Charles and Fred Kersley in, in that era. Uh, although, you know, when they clashed, uh, fortunately, we came out a little bit in front, but I was a great admirer of Sun, Sunline. As a racehorse, she, she was as, as good as they come. And Greg, as a jockey, probably none better. And I think he was never beaten on Norway, so can't do any better than that. Yeah, well, one of those was the Australian Cup, obviously 2,000 metres at Flemington. And it, it was Northerly's first weight for age race against, I guess, real top-class opposition. And despite being three wide, Fred, it's another course record, a win by three lengths. Now, Greg Childs makes the famous comment afterwards that, that really set the scene for the spring showdown of that year. He said he's on his way to Sunline status. He's got all the hallmarks of a champion. Oh, I couldn't say it any better. I mean, to, to go to, to Flemington in itself and win the Australian Cup is just remarkable for me and uh, and for Greg for that matter. Track record chucked in as well. I mean, golly, but, you know, in a trainer's life, it doesn't get much better than that. Yeah, yeah. They must have been magical times in your life. And the 2001 Cox Plate, I mean, that was tight down the finishing straight. As it turned out, too tight for many. I think there were three separate protests on the day, but all of them, thankfully for you, were dismissed. It was a controversial um, event in the end, that race, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, it's a bit scary, actually. And After the race uh, side on, I didn't see quite how much interference there was going to the line. And... Uh, and the crowd noise and everything else, I mean, there were funny enough a lot of people booing us because we shouldn't have beat Sunline. The theme song that day is Sunline's Coming Home. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I'm celebrating in my own quiet way. Uh, and then someone taps me on the shoulder and says, Mate, uh, there's been a protest. Did you know? I said, No, I didn't. I thought, Geez, we're going to strife here. You know, it could be a hometown decision. Everyone's favourite is Sunline, and we're going into the stewards' room. Um, and a little bit in my favour there, I guess, as my harness days, which uh, was a long career, I, I spent a fair bit of time in the stewards room and I sort of knew the protocol fairly well. <laughs> um, and, um, but with, with, with some relief, I, you know, the stewards found in our favour and I, and I think they made a really good decision that day. I mean, perhaps if Viscount had protested against Sunline and not Nordley, he may have gained second position, but... As uh, the result shows, the placing stood um, and, um, you know, with a fair bit of relief and a lot of, a lot of pleasure, actually. Um, as much for the horse that he, that he could do what he did. Yeah. And as a trainer, that's, what, that's your job, you know. You can't make them better than they are. You can make them worse than they are. And uh, we often do that. But um, to get them there, get the job done, re- very re- rewarding. 2002 Caulfield Cup, I've got to ask you about it. When it comes to Northerly, plenty plenty of people, plenty of experts, Fred, obviously argued that this was Northerly's greatest achievement. So 2,400 metres for the first time. The weight, which was significant, 58 kilos. He went to the front at the 600 and he held off Fields of Omar and Republic Lass. And was that not the instruction on the day, Fred? Do you remember? Oh, no, I don't, I'm not good at giving jockeys instructions. I think, you know, you don't know what's going to happen when, mm. when the gates open. So I, I back up the bus in terms of telling a rider how to ride and hopefully they don't tell the trainer how to train. But yep. um, that was a 
significant win in any by any stretch. Um, the 58 kilos didn't bother me because wherever he went in weight stage races, he was going to carry that sort of weight. So there wasn't a weight factor. Um, it was just a bit upside down in doing handicaps after you've been running in weight for age races. It's a bit unusual. And, and again, you go back and say, the horse did it. You know, it wasn't me. It was the fact that he was good enough to do that. But the 2,400 for the first time, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but there were plenty of people willing to doubt that he wouldn't get the trip. Yeah, um, well, of course, yeah, there's always doubters around. Um, I, that probably didn't worry me, as I recall. Um, the 2,000 metres at Mooney Valley is a very demanding race. The horse, that, the track that races a little bit dead, the 2,000 metres, you know, I, I like it. As, you know, from a public and, um, and a trainer's point of view, it's, it's a very telling race, uh, and it's a great race to win. And I, I, I had confidence in the horse that he'd get the mile and a half. And he blitzed him in the Cox Plate a week later too for a second consecutive crown. I mean, it touched on it earlier, Fred. The early 2000s, this period in your life, I mean, they must have been up there among the times of your life, surely, when the winds were rolling in uh, with Northerly. Look, yes, it was. I mean, extraordinary um, good luck to be able to be part of that process that, you know, unfolded through that era. Um, it's quite amazing. My wife, she, she refers to it as a magic carpet ride. <laughs> it sort of was a bit like that, actually. Um, a little bit surreal. Um, but again, you, you know, still say unashamedly, you know, he couldn't have done it without the horse and his ability to do what some horse is not supposed to do. And every time he did win, Fred, did it feel like the first time, if that makes sense? I don't know, I'm sure if you're much of a celebrator or you're more reserved when, when it comes to things like this, but the thrill, the adrenaline rush when it, when it won? Uh, yeah, for, for me, I mean, when, you go to the, when they go to the barrier, and you, you stand on there, and I usually find somewhere quiet where there's not where there's nobody else if I can, and watch the race. And I'm pretty calm about it. But um, what goes through your mind? Have you got it right? Have you done justice to the horse? Can he do it? And it's satisfaction's your first. Like when they cross, if he the horse in his case where he crosses the line, and and you think, well, you know how good is he? And he's done his job, and and you haven't let him down. Yeah, yeah. You're with This Is Your Journey, and it's brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can find them online, of course, at tobinbrothers.com.au. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back with Fred Kersley right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. We're with Hall of Famer Fred Kersley. Fred, obviously to say the Kersley name is synonymous with pacing and racing is a huge understatement. Uh, the family roots go down a long way. The Kersley name's been making and breaking records in, in pacing and racing, as I say, for, for more than a century. So let's rewind. For you as a youngster, did you even have a choice, Fred? <laughs> Uh, no, I didn't. I, that was it for me. I was going to be a, a trainer driver uh, from day one. I mean, we used to put reins on our push bikes to, you know, like we were riding a horse. Um, and, you know, I, I left school when I was 13. I, I turned um, 
14 on the in the January of that year and at primary school you, you know I didn't do a high school course or anything like that I first opportunity to get out of school I was out like a like a cat out of hell you know and um, you know I just started off in the stables did my apprenticeship pretty good apprenticeship something like 10 years actually um, and um, in those days, I wasn't even allowed to go to the trots because kids couldn't go to the trots at Gloucester Park those early days because of the liquor licensing. So we'd sit out in the float park most of the most of the night at Gloucester Park, my brother and myself. So it didn't come quickly and it didn't come easy for me. I mean, I didn't get to be acknowledged at all until I was well into my 20s. So from a kid leaving school early, and mucking out boxes and learning the trade. Uh, it was hard yards. Um, and yeah, a lot of self-doubt, a lot of criticism came along, never be as good as his old man, never be as good as his uncle, all that stuff. Yeah, It plays mentally on you a little bit, but it probably made me what I am today. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was, know, I was gonna. What they say. Yeah, well, I was just gonna ask you on that, Fred. That I guess the Kersley name for you, I assume anyway, would have opened some doors that otherwise wouldn't be open. But the flip side of that is, of course, it, it can make life difficult given you know comparisons and, and expectations and such. Well, sure, you're right, and those those comparisons were always there. And what you need to think about, I guess, and people in my era there were no junior driver concessions or apprentice allowances in terms of, you know, if I was to get a drive in a race, I'd compete against the best drivers in the state. And you were raw and you were new and you, you're learning your way. Um, the fact that you now apprentices get some advantage to kickstart their career, well, that never happened in those early days. Like I said, you weren't even allowed to go to the trots. Yeah, it was more of a slog. They're a lot more attractive now, the apprenticeships, than they used to be. That, that's for sure. But, but hey, horses are in your blood, so you weren't about to do something else. Yeah, I didn't have much choice because I can't do anything else. So it's pretty <laughs> right. simple in that respect. Right, okay. And let's rewind a sec. So Pop Kersley, FJ, obviously the reason you grew up in WA was because he came across from South Australia many, many years ago. What was the reasoning for that? He see a brighter future in WA for, for Harness and, and obviously the family followed? Yes, he did. Um, he he, um, he took a punt, I, I, I guess, that in as much as they had a travel overland when the the um, Nullarbor plane was still a gravel road. He put Frank on a ship with two horses and the three boys and uh, Mavis's sister, they got in a Buick and drove across the Nullarbor. Um, so, you know, it was a bit of a punt, in fact, a very big punt too, but he is Force had the foresight to think that West Australia Harness was um, going to succeed, and when they raced under lights, and this was probably at the old Wacker Ground before they went to Gloucester Park. But you know, it was his foresight that uh, sent the family from South Australia over to Western Australia, and I suppose the rest of it is history. You mentioned the apprenticeship and how difficult it was, and it was a, a real slog for you for the reasons you mentioned. It goes for more than a, a decade. What age, Fred, were you when you first jumped in the seat for for a drive of significance? Um, I would have put in, in. You mean in races or just training? Um, let's go. Let's go both. Well, training. You know, I've been would have been probably a couple of years before I got to sit in the sulky and, and do fast work. You know, you do a bit of jogging. Those days, you have to jog around the roads because you know mm. track training tracks weren't weren't available. 
But um, so I spent this four to five years um, just learning how to drive and how to handle horses and more or less the homework and studying the horse and understanding the horse. Um, to get a driver's license, you had to be 18. Um, I, I turned 18 and still couldn't get a drive, so that didn't matter much. But, um, you know, it was a long, slow progress really to become um, acknowledged as a, as a racing, uh, harness racing driver. And if we can get to the source of your, your motivation, obviously the passion for the sport is there, but the real motivation to succeed. And we, we touched on the Kersley comparisons and, and almost what might, must have been at times for you, the burden of the Kersley name, which can be hard to shake. Was there a fierce desire for you in these early days, Fred, to stand on your own feet? And if not that, then even prove people wrong? Uh to prove people wrong was pretty much an objective because there are a lot of critics out there in those days. And, uh, you know, when you pick up the paper and see headlines like, oh, he's won his first premiership, but he'll never be as good as his father or, or his uncle. So you, you sit there and think, well, maybe they're right, maybe they're not. Yeah. In, in this case, they weren't. <laughs> no, they're a fair way off. You did uh, find success spectacularly, it must be said. So your uncle, as good as he was, 11 premierships, if we're counting. Yeah. You won 14 as a, as a trainer and 17 as a driver. When did, when did though, I'm keen to know here, Fred, when did the references stop? Because they must have stopped to, to, to uh, those that went before you at some point as you ploughed on with all these wins. Look, good question. I, you know, I can't speak for other people. I guess they may, might have started taking notice when I put a few premierships together and won more races than anyone else in Western Australia at that time. I think that oh, you're still going to have your critics. I mean, that comes with the territory. But yeah. at the end of the day, that that softened that that attitude, and you know, they but the the older generations still, you know, were they they just rated the old timers as better. Uh, and, and I think there's still an element of that. You see where they compare jockeys of today. Are they as good as they used to be? Well, they're probably better, in fact. Yeah, well, it's probably no different in any sport, is it? There's a real nostalgia for those that, that went before. And I guess as the years go on, we arguably remember them more fondly, don't we? I, I wanted to ask you, speaking of fond memories, Gloucester Park, which you've tapped on, touched on a couple of times in our chat today, pacing there in the 70s and 80s when it was absolutely jumping, um, Fred, huge crowds. It must have been a magical time. Uh, um, the, the atmosphere in those days, incredible. Lots of bookies, the, uh, the, old, the old tote, you know, the, the people would queue up and, you know, read the odds on the barometer tote and line up for bets and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, the atmosphere was amazing. Uh, there was not a lot of entertainment outside racing in those days, um, you know, movie pictures and things like that, but nothing like the trots was for the atmosphere and the passion that the people had for the harness horse was just amazing. Um, I remember there was an accident right in front, um, straight across the park and about four horses went down and one of them was a horse called Bodon, who was the, the um, favourite horse in that, that era. And all of a sudden, one of the puncture tyres burst and went out with a bang and everyone thought they'd shot Bodon and, uh, you know, <laughs> set up a bit of a... Um, and Pete, if you like, to, about the uh, the incident, uh, blaming everybody for whatever happened. But it was, unfortunately, it was only a puncture tube that blew up and uh, the horse survived and 
got up again and raced on. That pacing passion that you speak of going back now to the 70s and 80s at Gloucester Bay, how, does it, how has it changed over the years, Fred? What, is the passion still there um, when we talk current days on, in the local scene? I think the passion's still there, but the crowd's not. I um, mean, you know, I think there's still the supporters, the diehard supporters who, who admire the horses for what they are. Um, the dip, you know, in those days you couldn't get a drink at the pubs because they all shot, uh, were shut, but you could go to the racetrack and, and get drinks and that sort of thing, which was some incentive. There was also no booze buses or things like that to keep you away. Um, easy access, easy parking. I mean, it, it, times change, obviously, and today you don't get the crowds at the track, so you don't get quite the atmosphere. But do the people care? Yeah, I think they still do. How often do you get along? Do you still get along for a look? Oh, infrequently. Now, like I was there last Saturday, um, Friday, you know, Saturday, I'm happy to go there. Um, it just interferes a bit with the early mornings of the thoroughbreds when you're up before daylight. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I still follow the, the, the harness. And, you know, I'm a great admirer of the harness horses in as much as my dad never drove a horse that could run a mile in two minutes. And now they've got horses, even two-year-old horses, that are well and truly breaking that time and getting down into the high 40s, one minute, 40 seconds. So they've improved out of sight, where the thoroughbreds, I suspect, haven't improved that much on the older, you know, 20 years ago. Okay. What? You know, that, that's a, an interesting comparison. I don't think the harness horses get the credit they deserve for their ability to improve as they have now, they're world-class horses that you see going around here in Australia these days. Do you have a theory as to why that might be? Probably started off a lower base, you might say. I mean, it wasn't easy for those early trotters or paces to, to pace that speed. But the improvement of the breed is just massive. And, and you know, I don't know where it stops. They're, you know, they're running 13 to the furlong running times that would win some galloping races around, you know, 1,000 metre tracks or half mile tracks, telling a salty. So, yeah, I'm passionate about that. And I think the harness horse doesn't get the acknowledgement that he deserves. We're talking to Fred Kersley on This Is Your Journey, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We'll be back with the legendary horseman right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. All thanks to our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals. They're a family-owned business since 1934. And Fred Kersley is our guest today. Fred, your most treasured memories, I would assume, revolve around Northley, but you raced against your father in harness racing, which is special, and you drove against him in a final of the 1972 WA Pacing Cup. Now, your old man had strived to win that race all of his life, and here he was, and I think what turned out to be his last race, and he did it that night. I mean, does that rival most of your favoured memories? Uh, it's right at the top. Um to be able to do that for Dad was amazing. Um, he drove James Eden. I drove the local product in the same race. Dad openly said afterwards that, you know, he appreciated that, you know, that I'd got to where I'd got and was able... He, he actually said I was a better trainer than he was. I'm not sure that's right. But um, in his speech after winning the cup, he did make that remark. I felt really good about that. 
Um, I was able to come out the following year and win the same race with the horse that I drove in that particular race, which was local product. So, yeah, great memories of that particular time and um, really pleased that I could give Dad that winner he couldn't get. Uh, it's so special. And to, to be there on the night, that, that is just the planets aligning perfectly. What a memory to have. And the transition from pacing to racing for you, I mean, you're fondly remembered, obviously, for being the first West Australian to obtain the dual licence. Firstly, before we get to the, the difficulty that came with doing that, what was the motivation for taking it on, Fred? Just um, probably, how would you say this, an ambition to, to succeed in another level. It felt like I'd done all I could do at the trots. Um, thoroughbreds sort of seemed to be rated above standard breeds in those days, and um, I didn't think that the thoroughbred trainers were any better than the standard bred trainers and as horsemen goes and you know I think some amazing horsemen across Australia and with associated with uh, with the standard bred since the beginning um, so I wanted to test myself against the thoroughbred trainers and uh, the sport of kink so called um, and they rejected my application for a license for about three or four years they didn't want harness racing trainers to infiltrate the sport of kinks uh, eventually I wore them down and they gave me a licence. <laughs> you whacked away for a while, didn't you? So you reckon four years, you just you just kept applying? Three to four years, I just kept hammering away um, and um, yeah, eventually they weakened and uh, let me in. Um, and after about 12 months, I wish they hadn't because I was going no good. I couldn't get a good horse to train. <laughs> and um, I, was, I was doing myself in a bit trying to do both and it's not easy. And in the end, I worked that out that, you know, you couldn't do both in, in big numbers or, you know, it just took too much time. It was too draining. And, um, you know, I, I finished up. I felt it got where I was going at, at in harness and, and and I took the opportunity to, to go full-time training. So, so tell us about 1989. It was that year... Uh, Fred, Little Hero, Belmont Park, ridden by Danny Miller. Uh, only one of many wins that would follow, of course, but that first one must have brought significant satisfaction or, a word we've used a bit today, was it more relief? Yeah, a little bit of both, I guess, in as much as, you know, funny enough, Danny Miller, he rode the first Gallup ever started in a race at 2J, which was Little Hero. And then he won the first race that I ever won as a galloping trainer. And he rode Nordley when he won my first Group 1 race uh, at the Railway Stakes. So Danny Miller had a significant impact on me in those early days. But, I, yeah, a fair bit of relief. And, um, you know, it didn't make it any easier to win the next one. But, you know, it was a start and you have to start somewhere. And uh, it took a while. I've got to say plenty of times where I didn't think that it was a very good decision that I'd taken because I was going very good where I was and I was struggling where I went. At the end of the day, it, uh, thank goodness to horses like Nordley, it made a difference. How special is it and how much do you hold on to the fact that the, the Kersley name I mean, is such an amazing dynasty, Fred? I mean, you, that we could go in any different direction here, but your daughter Kelly, she became the first female to win the 96 Miracle Mile. I imagine that is as proud a dad a moment as any. Oh, absolutely. We were there that night um, to watch um, West Australian horse, West Australian owned and driven by Kelly. Uh, Kelly was outstanding as a um, junior driver. Um she she just she had a really good record 
um, to go to Sydney, Miracle Mile, probably no harder job to go there and pick a race like that to win. But uh, again, they got it done. Norm Storter and the connections, all very good West Australian supporters of us and the horse racing industry. So, um, yeah, well done to Kelly. So it's Kelly's son, Fred Kersley Jr., your grandson. Now, we've this is the fourth – correct me, help me out here, Fred. This is the fourth Fred Kersley in the industry, I think, the, the fifth – all up. Uh, what is he? Is he 60, if you don't mind me asking, he's 60 years your junior, and he's making a real name for himself as a jockey, isn't he? Um, yeah, great. Um, full credit to him. He's done it alone and unassisted. He left Western Australia on his own as a kid. He's, he's um, worked hard. He's starting to get the success I think he deserves. Uh, I watch his races. I think he rides very good. Arguably can get better, but um, he's certainly on the right uh, way of uh, becoming uh, a, a good top jockey in, in Victoria, God willing, weather permitting. He's got that uh, goal in, in his grasp. Um, I think he can do it. Um, and he's made a really, really good start. I'm so pleased for him. Do, do you see much of yourself in young Fred? I see he's given many interviews, of course. There was one that jumped out. He said, I just got sick of school and I thought I'd have a crack at being a jockey. Sort of reminds me of someone like <laughs> me, actually. I, you know, the best thing about school was the school bell when you could go home. And, um, you know, um, look, I wasn't that bad at school, but I wasn't very good either. Um I thought Fred, he, he was a bit smarter than me, I reckon. He had a better education. He, he's, he's a full package, I think. He, uh, he's got um, the ability and I think he's got the drive and the desire to be good at what he does. Um, and so far, so good. He's started, well, he's well into the start of his career, you've got to say that, but there's a long way to go and he's, and he's got a bright future. I just hope that... Um, it all goes well for him, and uh, and I, and I think you'll get there because he's got that desire, and uh, and and you know, full credit again to him, in as much as he's done it on his own. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and do you find as the years go on, Fred, you get you know, I guess more sentimental about these sort of things and how special they are, and and perhaps not to be taken for granted the family links to the sport. Um, yes, I do. I, you know, uh, I've been on the journey, as, as you realise, for a long time now. And um, my day is, uh, you know, just about done. And the future's there for kids like young Fred and, and, and other people in the industry too. I mean, it's a hard job, particularly being a jockey with, a, with all of the issues that go with it, such as weight and um the pressure that is applied through the media and uh, the pressure you applied on yourself as well. I mean, it's always there and, mm. you know, you've got your doubters, you get your criticism, you get your rewards and that that's the business we do and we can't complain about that. I mean, just that's, that is it and you accept that and you go about it. But, um, it's not easy, never was and never will be. And for you, Fred, hope you don't mind me saying, 82 years young, you mentioned what, what comes next for you, but listening to you, the passion lives on in you, as uh, I would appear, it would appear to be as strong as it's ever been. Uh, do you still have that absolute thirst for it at the moment as we sit here now? 
Yeah, I do. Um, it's, it's not easy, um, and the job never gets easier, as I've mentioned. But the, you know, the the reward and the pleasure. It's it's not about money for me anymore. It's about doing it well. And um, if I can, I don't mind training average horses as much as if I can get them to go at their best. I'm okay with that. Like we're not all going to get champion horses, and not all going to. Well, you won't get group ones. Um, in numbers, you get lucky as I did with Nordley, and you get one of those champions. But what we deal with on on average is dealing with horses that come to you um, as babies, and you protect them from themselves. You try to make them as good as they can be, and um, some of them are not going to be good. You know that the odds are against you, but there's a lot of pleasure and a lot of reward in finding a horse and getting him turning him into a, a good racehorse. Fred, it's, it's been terrific to catch up today. What a what a journey it's been for you. What a tremendous legacy the Kersley name has left and does continue to leave on the industry. For you, it was a long and gruelling apprenticeship. It gave way to a dominant pacing career, then a long and gruelling process to obtain a dual licence. Gave way to an incredible success. and What a great period it was as a thoroughbred trainer. Well done on all you achieved, which was plenty. And thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's been my pleasure, and thank you for the call. And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can jump online to find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate the life of another sporting icon. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91